Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always. So glad to be with you for another edition of Stand Strong in the Word. Now, I'm excited today because we're going to be looking at three different events And when we look at each one, I really want to encourage you ahead of time before I start reading them to notice the intimacy, the humanity, the compassion, the love that Jesus extends in every account that we're going to talk today. Now, obviously, that is the case because God is love. Jesus came into the world. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and he rose again on the third day. And that is just an amazing thing to 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 really try to capture and understand this unconditional sacrificial love that comes from Jesus but when we really look at these instances today from Matthew to Mark's account we see just the insight in the love that Jesus had for the people as he walked the earth he was if he was a human being he was fully god and fully man And oftentimes we can get so wrapped up in the deity that we neglect oftentimes to look at Jesus's humanity. So today I really want to look at that as we look at these accounts. Now this is podcast 51. It's amazing how many we have already gotten through. So again, I just thank the Lord for each listener. So whether you have found us on iTunes or SoundCloud or searching the net, whatever, we are so glad that you're tuning in, that you're listening to this podcast. As always, you can go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcasts. Every archive of, of the podcast that we've done are up there with my study notes. So take advantage of those things personally, with your family, with a small group at church. We're going through a chronological teaching uh, through the gospel. So if you're new to this, make sure you look at the previous podcast. You can get caught up. But I'm trying to do my best, and hopefully I've, I've been accomplishing that. But it's definitely a tall order to try to historically and contextually keep things in chronological order. So hopefully it's really helped you as much as it's helped me. So I thank you guys for your emails, info at standstrongministries.org. Send them if you have questions or comments or prayer requests. We are here to serve you as best as we can. So to bring you up to speed, Jesus now is back in Capernaum. And if you remember, he healed a woman who had a blood issue. Now, that occurred because Jairus had come to Jesus about his 12-year-old daughter who had died, and he was begging Jesus to come to bring her back to life. So now where we're entering is about 80, 28, 80, 31 This is Jesus' third Galilean tour. So we're about a year into Jesus' ministry. And so today we're going to be looking at three different events. And as we do that, as always, I'm going to read just kind of portions of the scripture and give you some commentary to kind of give you some more insight. So let's jump right into it and look at the first event in Matthew chapter 9, 27 through 34. Jesus heals two blind men and he casts out a demon. It says, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened 
And they sternly were warned by them saying, see that no one knows about it. And they went away and they spread his fame through all that district. Now, as they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man was mute, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds marveled saying, never was anything like this done in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. All right, so a couple things to make note of before we go to the second event. Notice back in verse 27 that two blind men were following Jesus. Now, it's important to understand, my friends, that blindness was a common disease back then in Palestine. Remember, people had unprotected eyes from the sun. There were windstorms that occurred in the desert, and there was a lot of uncleanliness back in those days. And so those were all contributing factors to people being blind. So it wasn't the fact that they were born blind. But they got, you know, they became blind through some circumstance or whatever. So these blind men, very common in those days, uh, were around. But notice that these two blind men, they did whatever it took to keep up with Jesus. We don't know how they were able to keep up with Jesus being blind, but they did. Now, if you remember also in Matthew, Matthew's account and Mark's account, particularly Mark chapter 5, when that woman that I mentioned earlier with the blood issue that she approached Jesus, remember, in faith. Remember, Jairus, he came and he knelt before Jesus uh, on behalf of his dying daughter in Luke chapter 8. He, they all came in faith. And so now we see these two blind men. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about them other than the fact that they're blind and they're begging Jesus for help. But notice in all these instances from the woman to Jairus to these two blind men, they all came to Jesus in faith. And yet what's interesting as we've been exploring the Gospels the disciples, when we're told about certain instances that they had with Jesus, for example, when you go back to Matthew chapter 8, 23 through 27, remember the disciples, how they lack faith and they woke Jesus up and said, we're going to die. You've sent us here to die. And we see the lack of faith and we see them being rebuked by Jesus over and over again. So it's interesting that these unlikely characters, these even really unknown characters that didn't know much about Jesus and didn't have access to Jesus on a daily basis like the disciples and clearly did not hear the amount of teachings that the disciples were under, even on a personal private level, as well as not seeing the miracles that Jesus would perform. And yet they came with such faith. And so in verse 27, we're told that these two blind men, they were following Jesus. They cried out to him saying, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, this is a very powerful request, my friends, for many reasons. One, notice that these blind men were seeking for mercy, not for riches. They were not seeking for immediate healing. They're wanting God to extend mercy on them. And they refer to him as the son of David. Now, later on, we're going to see another incident where Jesus is encountered by two other blind men in Matthew 20, 20 uh, 29 through 34. So we'll talk about that later. But this phrase, son of David, is interesting that, the, that this is coming from the two blind men. This is an expected title for the Messiah. We're told in Luke chapter 1, 32 through 33 by Luke that, we, that, that it says, He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So these blind men came with this great expectation that the Messiah would extend mercy on them. Now notice Jesus responds by asking them a question. He says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? In verse 28, this is a bold question. They came boldly proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah. So he turns and boldly proclaims a question to test this kind of faith that they had. Now notice that they 
believed him to be the Messiah. But the question here now is, do they believe that the Messiah is capable of healing them? And notice the disciples, or excuse me, the blind men, they wasted no time and they said, yes, Lord. This shows the complete faith and reverence that these men had in Jesus. And in verse 29, Jesus says, according to your faith, be it done to you. Now, remember, Jesus oftentimes cites a person's faith as the impetus to their healing, not as the source. That's important. It wasn't the faith that brought on the healing. Jesus is the source of the healing. He's the one that has the power and the authority. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, who's the one who sustains and keeps things together, we're told in Colossians 1.18. But when you put your faith in that source, remember, he's the son of David. He is the Messiah. He responds in healing them because of their faith. So the, the faith is the impetus to their healing, not the source of it. Now, as Jesus does this, we're told that he says, hey, don't tell anybody this, but man, these two blind men who now can see, who receive the mercy of God, they couldn't help but tell this to other people and to spread his fame through all the districts. So I don't blame them. You and I would do the same exact thing. So it wasn't like they were being disrespectful or they were being rude. Now, as Jesus departed there, we're told in verse 32 that a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. Matthew mentions this demon-oppressed man to be mute for several reasons. If you're not aware, let me just shed some light in this. This is pretty fascinating. You see, in those days, the Jews, they believed in tricking, if you will, um, the demon as a form of exercising uh, the, the demon out of the person. In order for them to do this, they would try to find the name of this demon and then they would call the demon out by name in order to exercise the person. So Matthew says that, look, here's a problem. This demon-oppressed man who comes to Jesus, who's brought to Jesus by whoever, a friend, a family, a crowd, whatever, is mute. So this person can't speak. So how is Jesus able to find the name? So basically, this was a hopeless situation. But we're told in verse 33, the demon was cast out and the man was able to speak. Why? Jesus just cast out a legion of demons from a man. How is he not able to cast out one demon who's causing this man to be mute? Jesus is the authority and the people knew that. For him to be able to do that, there was something the religious leaders weren't capable of doing. They weren't capable of performing miracles like the way Jesus was, especially if the person was mute. This was showing the mighty power. That's why the people said never was anything like this has ever been done in Israel. But notice what the Pharisees say. They respond by saying he casts out demons by the prince of demons. So once again, my friends, you have two blind men who are crying out to the son of David for mercy. You have people who are bringing impossible situations to Jesus and he solves them. And what do the religious leaders do? The ones who should know that this is the Messiah, no matter what good Jesus does, no matter what kind of evidence has been proven that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, they still reject him and they continue to spread lies that he is of Satan. And we saw that back in Matthew chapter 12, 22 through 37. So now we turn to the second event. Jesus leaves this situation to go back into the synagogue. And that's where we pick things up now in Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6. It says, And he went away from there, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? 
How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, the, the two passages that mention, mention this event, as I mentioned before, Mark 6, 1 through 6, but also Matthew 13, 54 through 58. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of combine portions of these to kind of get a broader perspective of what's going on. So in Matthew 13, 54, we're told that Jesus was coming to his hometown. So Jesus returns to Nazareth after healing two blind men, right? And casting out a demon and is confronted by the Pharisees who are saying he's basically Satan, right? Or part of Satan, part of Satan's legion and not one of them. Now, here's what's interesting we're told that Jesus goes back to Nazareth. If you recall in our previous podcasts, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was there in his hometown. He was speaking in the synagogue and he was fulfilling Isaiah 61 in front of them and yet they rejected it. So Jesus comes back again, showing not only his deity, but again, I believe his humanity that he cares about his people. And by caring about his people, he wants to meet their needs. He wants to love his people He wants to be there for his family and friends, and he wants to teach in the local synagogue. Now, we're told in Mark 6, 1, that his disciples follow, they came with him. Now, remember, a lot of them are within this region as well. So this was a great opportunity for them to be reunited with a lot of their family and friends. And and as I mentioned, to teach in the synagogue. So remember, Jesus commenced his ministry a year prior. If you go back to Matthew 4, 17, Mark, Mark 1, 14 through 15, Luke chapter 4, 14 through 15 and John 4, 43 and 45, you'll see Jesus's ministry being commenced in his hometown. Now, shortly thereafter, uh, he came to Nazareth to teach in the synagogue. And it was there before his own people in his own hometown where he read, as I mentioned, Isaiah. And this was proclaiming him as the Messiah, that he was to come to bring good news, that he was there to heal the blind, to deliver his people from bondage. Remember, this is all in Luke 4, 16 through 13. You could read that on your own time. And yet even then, his own people questioned his validity. Because why? Because he was a son of a lowly carpenter. He was an uneducated guy. No rabbi took Jesus under their wing. And he was evicted from the synagogue from that point on. And yet despite that, he comes back. And when he comes back, the people notice these questions. Where did this man get these things? What, what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So they identify that he was doing great things, but they're questioning the validity of his messiahship because of his lowly beginnings. These questions, my friends, asked by these people, his own people in his own neighborhood, implies that Yes, they witnessed his miracles, but they allowed confusion and frustration to get the better of them. And I believe to a great extent, because of the culture of those days, because the status was not to the level of respect. And as a result, no matter how mighty the miracle was that Jesus performed, he was a lowly carpenter because it persisted, we're told in Matthew 13, 55 through 56. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this the mother of Mary? 
are not his brothers, James, Joseph, and Simon, Judas. It kept getting worse and worse and worse. So Jesus' lowly stature prevented them from believing he truly was the Messiah. They looked at just his humanity to deny his deity. But it was as a lowly carpenter. Remember, the Bible tells us it makes so much more sense to us today than it did back then. It makes sense to us today because we understand that he came as a lowly human being, that he took on the form, that he let, was led to the cross. He was betrayed as he was going to the cross, that people denied and spat at him and cursed him, but he did it for you and he, for, and he did it for me, that, he, that, that Jesus endured all the pain and the suffering, but he was pleased to do it because it was gonna, he was going to offer us eternal life. It was a way for you and I to go from death to life. And at the time... They were just fixated on the status of Jesus. And notice in Matthew 13, 57, they took offense at him. So people in Jesus' hometown knew very little about Jesus in the end. You would think that they would know a lot about him. Yeah, they knew his parents. They knew the kind of profession. They, they probably had him work on things for them in, his, in their house, right? And they paid him a lowly wage to, to be the carpenter in the neighborhood with his, his stepdad. That was always obviously a lowly stature thing there because they they didn't equate Jesus to be part of Joseph, even though he was in the sense of him being raised that way. But when you look at his, the, the divinity side of things, no, Joseph was not his actual biological father, but but obviously adopted him into the family as one. And so you would think that given the fact that they were were around Jesus and saw all these great things that came out of him as a person, as a human being, perfect, remember, without sin, that they would be just so enamored by what he's become as this famous rabbi who people are saying is the Messiah. But in essence, my friends, they don't know him. They knew nothing about him. And so much so that they were not just wrong, but notice this word offense that's used by Matthew. Literally, the Greek means to bring to anger, to cause shock. And not only that, but also carries the idea of causing one to sin. They were outraged. They were abhorred by the behavior of Jesus that he thinks he can come back after we kicked him out of the synagogue and come back with his pathetic disciples trying to prove himself again. And Jesus says in Mark 6, 4, prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. So as I mentioned before, this is the second time that Jesus, he makes a statement in his hometown. We saw it back in Luke 4, 24. You can imagine how painful it was to Jesus as a human being. This was his childhood. And this is where he was raised. Remember his own parents, his own siblings did not totally completely receive him. We'll see that on a later date as well, but we saw that previously, previously in some podcasts in the past. So this is a very rough emotional state. He's rejected over and over again by his hometown. This was something the prophet Jeremiah was very f- familiar with. He was rejected by his own people. We see that in Jeremiah eleven twenty one and Jeremiah twenty six twenty. So it's kind of like a reference to Jeremiah that Jesus is saying. And then in Mark six five. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them. So this demonstrates, my friends, a great restraint and humility and obedience by Jesus. He could have showed off by performing the greatest miracles to his hometown to prove to them that they were wrong, that he was indeed the Messiah. There was, there, there was a great willingness and openness that Jesus had to be a part of these people's lives, but yet they didn't want it. And that culture... By the way, this is important to note, it was actually expected 
for relatives and people of their hometown to meet each other's needs. So here you have Jesus willing, after being rejected before in Luke 4 and coming back a few months later, to meet the needs of his hometown, and yet they reject him. He could have provided healings and forgivenesses and exorcisms. So I believe, just knowing the Jewish culture and looking at the context, that this, this is referenced by Mark on account of Peter, um, that he could do no mighty work there. He was there to help meet the needs that was expected by a Jewish person. If you had the resources to do it, that you would come and you would provide. And yet he was not able to because of their lack of faith. And that's where we're told here in Mark 6, 6, he marveled because of their unbelief. So in the, in the first event we, we saw, the people marveled at what Jesus had done because of the faith of people. But now it's Jesus who's marveling because of their unbelief. The one thing that Jesus, we know, marveled about was one's faith. And yet here, he's rejected by his own people. And because of this rejection and and this unbelief, Jesus is troubled by it. Now, you would think that this would cause Jesus to get so upset, so ticked off that he would end his ministry or run off and and dismantle the, the, the membership among the disciples. No. What are we told? Now, this leads us to our third event. Here's what we're told. We're told that despite the rejection that Jesus has, he has compassion on the people. In Matthew 9, 35 through 38, it reads, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. A last few words I want to make mention, my friends, as we conclude this podcast today, and hopefully you've been seeing the humanity of Jesus as we see it clearly in this last event right now, the compassion that he has. Jesus leaves and he goes throughout all the cities and villages. If, you're, if, if they're not going to receive him, he's going to go somewhere else where people are going to receive him. And he starts performing miracles and he's teaching. And, and people that have faith in him, he's coming to them. And Jesus, as he's around the mob of these people, and here's a great sign, my friends, of a great, humble leader. Jesus has compassion on these people. Literally, his bowels move within him because he's so moved with affection and love of these people. He's yearning for them with a great sense of, in, of, of intense pain. And as he sees these people and he looks upon them with this type of affection, notice it says two things. Jesus sees them as harassed and helpless. No one of us listening uh, to my voice right now want to see people bullied. We don't want to see children starving to death. We don't want to see pictures of what dictators do to their people by dropping, like, for example, in Syria, mustard gas. That pains us. And could you imagine being a parent of a child who loses her life? that way. And yet Jesus is seeing these people as being bullied. They're harassed and they're helpless. They can't get out of it. These people have been let down by their leaders. They're being led astray. They're being abused. And the danger and these threats were growing. And not only that, but Jesus sees these people as sheep, sheep without a shepherd. Now you and I know that Jesus is the great shepherd, right? Amen to that. 
We see that in Psalm 23 and his fulfillment in John chapter 10. Later, the apostle Peter refers to him as the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5, 4. So Jesus looks upon a mass of disorganized people who were directionless. They were without a shepherd. And you and I know that sheep without a shepherd are prone to wander. And when they wander, they can get hurt, they can get lost, and they can be devoured by wolves. So when Jesus sees these people and has this type of compassion, he refers to what he sees out in these cities as a harvest that is plentiful. But yet, guess what? The laborers are few. Now, you and I talked about that in a previous podcast in John chapter 4, 35 through 38, so you can check that out later. But once again, Jesus mentions this spiritual harvest that no matter what you and I do, we are always in need of more workers, my friends. And this, this breaks Jesus's heart over the condition of his people. So much so that you and I, when you and I look at the condition of where Christianity is at, or where churches are at, or when there's false teachers, or there's uh, people that are being harassed or helpless or being abused um, or are being discarded by people in the church, it should trouble you and me. God wants you and I to love his people, plain and simple, and to be willing to say, God, I will go. So how do we, you and I do that? Well, in concluding this podcast, I want to read this verse once again. How do you and I respond, my friends, to take the kind of compassion love that Jesus has? We pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. That's what you and I are to do. My friends, I pray as we see here in verse 38 of Matthew 9, that we are to pray to God who is the Lord over the harvest. And we are to pray to him specifically this one thing, God, will you please send laborers into the harvest? And I want to be one of them. Now, you and I take on different roles and responsibilities. We have different gifts. I would not be recording this podcast right here, right now. I would not be writing the books that God has blessed me to write and speaking in audiences in churches around the nation if it wasn't for men and women like you listening who have planted seeds, who have written checks, who have dropped a note of encouragement, who make it uh, your daily effort to pray for me that our harvest will continue to grow through the ministry of Stanstrong Ministries. There are many people who God has not called to be an apologist, to be an evangelist, to be a pastor, a teacher of God's word, but they want to fund it. And so together we are part of these laborers. So whatever God has called you to do, my friends, if you're an evangelist, if you serve in different parts of the world, some of you I know listen to this podcast in in parts of Europe and Canada and other places in the United States, that's awesome. God has placed us strategically where we're to be to accomplish the work of God. So I just pray that you and I together, as you and I do this podcast together, that every day we pray to the Lord of the harvest and we're praying, God, will you use me to witness uh, to other people, to love people, to disciple people. And God, I pray that you will continue to use the churches in the world, around the world, that they will continue to faithfully serve you and to love your people. May that be our prayers, my friends. So thank you for tuning into this podcast, and I'll see you on the next podcast. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.